This episode of Paper Team is brought to you by Roadmap Writers. Roadmap Writers is a screenwriting education and training platform for writers looking for a guided path to success. Programs are hosted by working industry executives and are designed to empower writers with actionable tools and insights to elevate their craft and cultivate industry relationships. Since 2016, Roadmap has helped more than 84 writers sign to representation and countless others get staffed, optioned, or sell their script. To learn more, visit RoadmapWriters.com and use the code PAPERTEAM, all caps, all one word, to save $15. Roadmap Writers, the road to your screenwriting success starts here. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're doing our regular Paper Scraps episode where we'll be answering your TV running questions, this time about social media and specs. And also we'll be discussing the latest TV running news, including the WGA elections and uh, some OTT news. But first, we have some announcements slash news. <laughs> So first up, we wanted to remind you all about our live table read coming up, the paper read. It will be on November 20th at Art Share LA in downtown Los Angeles uh, around 7 p.m. We are looking forward to this being the second live event of the year. So if you tune into the episode next week, you will hear the winner of our paper tees who will be read live, as well as all the information about tickets to come along. And also, please, if you're a patron, check the Patreon feed for early ticketing information. Absolutely. And uh, also note that this episode that we uh, are releasing now has been recorded before AFF, but I'm sure we had a grand old time in, in Austin. Yes. Right? Looking forward to the future. We had a blast, uh, <laughs> including meeting up with a number of our listeners uh, at the Driscoll Bar after our panels, which I uh, have to imagine in the future was fantastic. Yeah, I believe it took place at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 26. I think uh, that's Alex where. lost an eye to a rowdy listener. Um, I feel like we're writing a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> well, what are you losing then? Your brain? No, it's already gone. Wow. <laughs> Self-burn. All right. We did want to shout out a lot of successes. Some of it may be a little bit outdated because of Austin, but the first thing uh, to mention are uh, the many semifinalists and second rounders that are Paper D's alumni or former guests of ours. So some familiar uh, faces and names here. Shruti Saran made it through to the semifinals with her drama script Finding Satoshi, as well as it being in the running for the Humanitas Award, and had her good place spec in the competition as well. That's right. And uh, also Clint Williams with uh, Chetahuchi, who is slash was a semifinalist in the AMC drama competition at AFF. And there was Zimran Jacob, who was a former guest of the podcast, and he had two drama pilots in the semifinals with the Golden Age and Coronation. I'm sure there are probably a couple of others that we've missed as well on the list of second rounders and semifinalists. So uh, congratulations to all of our listeners and friends of the podcast who are in the competition. Absolutely. And last but not least, we actually received a wonderful email from uh, Gia Gordon, who sent us some amazing news. Part of it is AFF related. So I'll read it now. And uh, Gia said, hey, Alex and Nick, quick note to share two bits of good news. I'm a semi-fallist at AFF this year and will be going to the festival. And yesterday I heard that you two will be there as well. So I hope we can meet up for a drink at the risk which considering that this episode uh, is being released after or re and recorded before Austin. We probably did. Uh, there you go. And uh, also she said, the fellowship program series you did last spring was so, so, so helpful. I ended up applying to two of the programs and was just accepted into one of them. I'm thrilled and humbled by the opportunity 
community. So thank you for creating such a thoughtful, helpful, and entertaining series of podcasts giving pre-professional writers exactly what they need. I truly appreciate what you guys do to uplift the writing community. Be well, Gia. Wow, that's incredible news. One of our listeners is in the fellowships. So I feel like, uh, you know, all of our hard work in putting together the fellowship series has kind of paid off in a very tangible way. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy that in a small part, at least it was thanks to us that this person uh, thought of applying to these programs and now she's in, obviously because of her talent and scripts. But we're very proud parents. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I have a single tear rolling down my eyes. It's been a while since I've had a single tear. <laughs> yes, we'll break out the soundboard later. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's also uh, give some Twitter mention shout outs that we received. And the uh, first one is from uh, Andy Healy, who said, or at Andy underscore Healy, who said, been on road trips for three days and a binging hashtag paper team podcast thank you for keeping me company yeah and i replied to andy and said you're welcome where did we go and he <laughs> said uh all throughout socal caught up on 14 episodes inspired to write this week and feeling more informed and encouraged so it's always nice to hear that kind of feedback thanks for listening Andy. absolutely it's great to hear that our podcast is binge worthy much like uh, many tv shows yeah and we got to go on a road trip and we didn't even have to do anything or pay <laughs> any gas money so <laughs> so <Absolutely>. lovely <laughs> lovely and uh also we had a, a tweet from uh, albert vasquez who said long time fan of the podcast we are in production on a film i wrote we're filming a couple of scenes in a bar on sunday wanted to extend an invite to the both of you hoping you would be extras hashtag reaching out hashtag writers sticking together well, we appreciate the invite. Unfortunately, I believe we did already miss that. I don't remember what I was doing that weekend, but I'm sure I was unfortunately predisposed. But I hope that your shoot went well and that you had a great scene. Yeah, we were extras in spirit. Yeah, we'll, we'll make a cameo some other time. So uh, when you can pay a sag minimum. No, well, there you go. <laughs> okay. All right, let's move on to some of your questions. Digging into your own TV writing questions, going back to the Twitter feed. And we got a tweet from Steve Kimura, who said, love your podcast. You've talked about the importance of social media and branding. I have a question. As an aspiring TV writer, does the political slant of my current feed possibly hurt me? So I uh, took a look at Steve's Twitter feed to see what he was talking about. And it was a lot of, you know, commentating on um, articles and, and stuff about politics and the current president and whatever, as a lot of people do on Twitter these days. And so I replied back to him and said, look, I don't think it's going to hurt you. A lot of writers have very political Twitters. Most people in Hollywood are liberal and will agree with those views anyway. But that said, you know, it doesn't particularly show off your own personality or brand or offer something that might explicitly help you either as, you know, the idea of branding your social media traditionally would lead to. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the question is, what does that conversation involve and how does it shine you in a different light? Because if it's just retweeting political stuff, on some level, it's important uh, socially and uh, I'm big on a uh, civic engagement. So to me, that's something that I embrace fullheartedly. But it is true that if we're talking about branding and how to differentiate yourself, that is a question you got to ask yourself is sort of how do you present yourself out there? Not just in terms of, is it going to jeopardize my career because people disagree with my political views, but more so in terms of, how is that showing you as a writer and a creative person? Uh, because especially if we're talking about political Twitter, the Venn diagram crossover between TV writers that are more political and uh, those that are uh, active on social media, then you'll find that the crossover there is because people are engaging in the conversation. They're not just retweeting, they're actually adding something of value or uh, giving the megaphone to other people uh, of different views or for different reasons. So I feel like the question is, what are you bringing to the table? 
enable besides just a retweet. Yeah, exactly. I think there's kind of two spectrums of that where you can engage politically on social media while also offering something of your own voice as a writer or you know something that entertains or engages people as well. And I think one side of that spectrum is something like, say, a Trevor Noah, who is going to be retweeting an article and making a very funny one-liner joke about this or pointing out some sort of hypocrisy or irony in the political situation that is also funny and you know goes viral and people are retweeting that and, and enjoying that on, on that level. And then the other side of that is something more like a David Simon, who is able to kind of take this news and synthesize it and and create uh, you know a stirring, vitriolic response to something that's going on and really kind of put his own voice into the political conversation. Right, absolutely. And I feel like while you don't necessarily need to be going on the vitriolic stage of tweeting and just like a hard, angry uh, tweets, sending them out into the Twitter sphere, I do agree with what you're saying in terms of the two approaches that you are describing are to me similar to the difference between a comedy feed and a, a drama feed. I would expect a comedy writer to exposit uh, maybe the hypocrisy and some elements and then give jokes about what's happening in a funny way that is going to be engaging in sort of the quality of the humor I'm going to be expecting from this person in the writer's room. And conversely, perhaps, if, uh, if it's a drama writer, I'm expecting uh, some sort of interesting conversation that there, it could also be funny by any means, but at least there's some interest uh, that is being shown that would show me that this person is going to be useful and providing interesting insight in the writer's room, uh, especially now in the in the day and age where so many drama shows are socially aware and uh, about uh, present narratives and uh, read from the headlines, uh, storylines. So I feel like that's an opportunity for you to demonstrate that you are plugged into what is happening. Yeah. I mean, one of our former guests, Simon Taylor, was recruited to write for The Tonight Show with Jay Leno based off of his Twitter. And the vast majority of what, uh, you know, kind of monologue jokes and, and bits and stuff are on these late night shows these days is political and is commenting in uh, an astute and funny way on the political happenings. So if that's something that you're looking to engage with, then that, that can directly lead to a job as we've seen in the past. And the last day I'll mention that if you are worried about being a discriminated against because of your political views, I feel like that is something that's illegal. If that has happened to you and uh, you do feel like you were passed off from jobs because of your views, I feel like that's definitely something to watch out for and talk uh, with uh, the guild about. Right. And realistically, you probably don't want to be in that room with those people anyway, exactly. if that's the case. So. Yeah. And truthfully, I mean, I know people who are more on the right side of things. I know people who've worked in very conservative environments that's been fraught with tension and conflict and not, you know, for many reasons. I feel like that's uh, definitely, like you said, not the kind of room you want necessarily to be in if uh, there's going to be that kind of conflict. So just uh, consider it a, a bullet dodged. We had another email from a uh, regular correspondent, uh, Vaja Tarosian, and she said the following. Yeah. And she said, Hey guys, it was a wonderful 150th episode. Thank you so much for replaying that segment with Des Doyle. The rest of the episode medley was great as well. Heartwarming and a bit nostalgic. I took a two hour hike while listening to it and it was the perfect match. A beautiful scenery with Zen screening advice. I can't wait for the next anniversary. So I can repeat that side note. Uh, this is basically like the road trip except uh, by foot. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> kind of like when you listen to like relaxing study music with like the rainy mood in the background, it's like listening to paper team screenwriting advice on a hike. Maybe it'll catch on. It'll be the new thing all the kids are doing. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, Varta continued by saying, I'm running with the topic suggestions. And she said, I graduated AFI a few years ago, and that was a transformative experience. My fellow writers and I went through a really intense program, which in many ways defined us creatively. I know UCLA, USC, NYU, Chapman, and a handful of other schools have writer-centric programs as well. 
So I thought it might be a good idea if you had a panel of alumni who attended these programs that can address many issues like what did the, you get out of the program or was it worth the money and so forth. These are some of the many questions I get asked a lot. So I assume your listeners might be curious as well. And to finish by saying graduate school is one of many options that people who want to venture into running should consider. I think it would be beneficial to present the insider perspective so people can make an informed decision about whether or not to pursue that path. Maybe for some, it will affirm that they didn't miss much by not going to school for running. No matter how I look at it, it sounds like a fascinating topic, so I hope you would consider it as one of your future episodes. Best, Varta. Well, first of all, thank you for that awesome email and a topic suggestion. In terms of TV running education, that is a topic that's near and dear to our hearts. We actually did a past episode on the subject that covered sort of extensively our thoughts on that topic, but I feel like doing a PT85-esque episode about school alumni and sort of seeing their perspective of good and bad would be real interesting. Yeah, for sure. The, the one that you mentioned, I think, Alex, was should you pay for TV writing education, which is PT19. So if you're interested in our thoughts on that in the early days of the podcast, you can definitely go back and check that out. But yeah, no, I think it might be a cool idea. So we'll, we'll look into that and we'll see if we can get some people together and, and maybe put something together on that end. And uh, last of our emails was from Luke Jensen, who says, Hi, Alex and Nick, what are your thoughts on the risks of writing specs before the fellowship approved show lists come out? Obviously, some shows are safe ones that have been on the, the list and are renewed for another season. But what about predicting shows that may be added to the list shows with one season that have been renewed for a second, like what we do in the shadows or the righteous gemstones? Thanks, Luke. Well, that's a, an interesting question, because it brings up a couple points. One is just the basis of what is going to be on the fellowship list and uh, ensures that are going to be accepted. And the other part is just what is worthwhile uh, to spec on a, on a basic level, especially uh, thinking of shows that may or may not have been renewed yet, or even if they're renewed, are they worth uh, specking on a story level? Now, the two examples that you gave are interesting because on one hand, you have the Righteous Gemstones, which is an HBO comedy, and uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which is an FX dramedy. And I feel like what we do in the shadows is arguably more niche than the Righteous Gemstones, even though both of them, in my mind, are kind of equally as well known. Uh, but just because of the pedigree attached to the Righteous Gemstones, I feel like there's a better shot of it being on the list, much like Vice Principals or Eastbound and Down was on many uh, fellowship lists in years past. So if I were to pick between the two, I'd pick the Righteous Gemstones. But like in my mind, it always comes down to what is the best writing that you can do instead of worrying about what is going to be necessarily trying to predict what's going to be uh, on the on the spec next year, I don't feel like you should be spending months and months writing a spec anyway. So uh, if you feel you have an idea for a really compelling, uh, what we do in the shadows or write your gemstones, I feel like that's going to be uh, more useful to you than uh, just trying to game the system. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'd say my perspective on this would be that if the entire reason that you're writing a spec is to submit to fellowships, you should probably tend to play it safe and make sure you're writing something that you can actually submit to all the fellowships. You know, I've in previous years in the early stages of my you know, writing, I had written something before I'd even looked at what was acceptable and I could only submit realistically for one or two of the fellowships. And there were others that didn't do animation or others that didn't have the show on its list and that kind of thing. And it certainly is a bit of a missed opportunity. Again, if that's the whole reason you're writing the spec, if you're just writing it to learn how to write better and to have a spec in your arsenal, then perhaps it's fine. But, uh, you know, if your entire focus of this is, I want to get into one of the fellowships, then realistically you should try to maximize your chances. Right. I do feel like though, it's kind of a catch 22 
because on one hand, you do want to wait realistically because you want to be certain that they're going to accept the show. But conversely, usually they release those lists later and later. And so presumably you would have less and less time to really write that compelling spec, especially if you already have that idea and you just want to get it out. So with that said, I feel like you would sort of do it halfway where you can look at past uh, spec lists. I mean, you can look at my own uh, sort of the, the spec list that I put out every year and I list all the shows, the, the ones that are accepted and those that aren't. And you can find crossovers. Uh, the example I just gave was Eastbound and Down. If you look back in history, you can find that Eastbound and Down was accepted. So logically, it makes sense that if, uh, you know, especially now where they accept more and more uh, second season or first season shows that have been redo into second seasons. So Retro Gemstones would be a better bet. Whereas what we do in the shadows, if you look at FX shows uh, outside of maybe Archer, most FX shows like, let's say, Baskets uh, was not accepted by uh, arguably most, if not all of the fellowship. So I feel like that's where the best bet is, is either finding a, a safe bet that you feel is going to distinguish yourself from the lot or finding something you're really passionate about that you feel is going to produce a really compelling spec, but also tread carefully in terms of what fellowships tend to focus on. And like Alex says, I'm not encouraging anyone to try to quote unquote game the system, but just from personal experience, I think that if you write a show that more people are familiar with, you're more likely to hit a reader who's familiar with your show and can accurately judge that. So if you are writing some of these niche shows that have only been around for one year, you are rapidly increasing the chance that whoever's reading your script has never seen the show and they just have to kind of go off of their best guess as to whether this is a good spec. To me, that it's the oldest rule in the book, so to speak. You should never spec a show that is in its first year. There's going to be exceptions to the rule, but usually even something like Barry, Barry wasn't accepted in his first year. I mean, people love Barry, but it wasn't until its second year that people real, or at least it got renewed and it was in production that people really uh, accepted Barry as, as an example, despite how popular it was. So bearing extreme examples of super popular shows like The Walking Dead or, uh, well, I was going to say Game of Thrones, but Game of Thrones was not accepted. But uh, bearing those exceptions, I do agree with what you're saying in terms of treading carefully for first season shows. You should be writing something in the second season. It's not really that big of a deal either way. Yeah, and much more specific piece of advice regarding what we do in the shadows. Particularly, I went to one of the Emmys FYC events for that, and there was a Q&A where they were talking to some of the writers. And it seems like that show is very improv-based. It's honestly closer to a Curb Your Enthusiasm than a traditional kind of scripted show. So it might be harder to properly execute on a written version of a spec episode of that show, given the format that they tend to go with in the writer's room and how much improvised takes place on set. So just a warning there. I think that, yeah, that's a great advice. I feel like that ties to the other thing uh, about why it's dangerous to spec a first season show. It's just because of the lack of repeatable formula or the lack of track record. You only have so many episodes, especially now in the day and age where shows are six to 10 episodes. There's very few scripts you could get your hands on. There's very few repeatable beats that you can sort of decipher as this is what the show is about. Because in its first season, most shows are still figuring themselves out. And that's even more true in the case of what we do in the shadows. Uh, despite how great it is, it's still not the same level of uh, script as, uh, as something that's been uh, going on for a couple of seasons that's uh, much more of a well-oiled machine. All right, let's get into some TV writing news. And uh, first of all, this is a slightly outdated, but still very relevant to our listener base, and that is the WGA election. So the new board 
and uh, president, vice president, et cetera, have been nominated. I say new, but there are a lot of uh, returning members, <laughs> yes. uh, thankfully. And they are the following. So uh, elected as president is David A. Goodman, who was the incumbent, uh, vice president Marjorie David, who's also an incumbent, and secretary treasurer Michelle Mulroney. And then the following eight members were elected to the board of directors for two-year terms. Liz Elper, former guest of the podcast, uh, Angelina Burnett, Rob Chavis, Dante Harper, Zoe Marshall, Love Rocky, Meredith Steim, and Nicole Yorkin. Congratulations to everyone. We're particularly excited for Liz Alper. Obviously, she's a, she's been a guest on the podcast. She's been very active on social media and uh, really helping lower-level writers uh, up. And uh, also Zoe Marshall, I'll mention, who's a lower level on, uh, I believe, Charmed. So it's great to see even lower level people be represented on the board of directors and really show that you don't have to be an EP to really have your voice heard in that level. Yeah, totally. I think this election is such a great mix of the people who have been there for years and have the experience on the board, as well as this injection of passionate young writers who want to really go about bringing about change and helping the more disadvantaged or writers who have fewer opportunities to get that access and really ensuring uh, that we are kind of moving forward in a positive way. Uh, so congratulations to all of those winners. Absolutely. I'm sure we'd love to bring uh, Liz Alper and, uh, and others uh, on the podcast uh, to discuss uh, all the wonderful things that they're doing for the guild. Uh, but let's also talk about some OTT news. And uh, the first thing that we didn't really mention last time was just that NBC announced, I believe, much like HBO Max, its own uh, condom service, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. Yes, they announced uh, their own streaming service called Peacock, you know, which I guess you could, uh, what are your thoughts on the name? <laughs> I mean, I'll say this much. It's uh, slightly more brandable and original than the other OTT names. Uh, I prefer it to HBO Max, but I mean, like I said, I mean, HBO Max looks like the condom wrapper. Peacock sounds like a condom wrapper. So <laughs> what are you going to do with it? Uh, yes, but so this streaming service will be the kind of the NBC affiliated one rolling out in April 2020. It's going to have all those classic NBC shows like The Office, Parks and Rec, as well as a bunch of new original content like the new BSG series by Sam Esmail and uh, a new Mike Schur comedy called Rutherford Falls. So some things to look forward to there, although it really does uh, raise that point again of how many streaming services are we realistically going to have subscriptions to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it sounds like they're really banking this service to be about IP and uh, bring back IP that were successful to them. All the shows that they announced are either reboot or remake or re-sequel of something. Uh, now, I'll note, I know some people were freaked out about the BSG show. I'm a huge BSG fan, but uh, this is actually in the world of Ron Moore. It's not a, a reboot uh, per se. So that's definitely something to be interested in. And uh, I'm always happy to get uh, Mike Schur comedy on my TV. Absolutely. Uh, and the next piece of news is, again, another streaming OTT related one, but Apple has actually started its own in-house uh, studio to service Apple Plus. Uh, presumably, I mean, perhaps they will sell to other networks as well, but right now they only have one show that is being produced by the Apple's actual production studio, and that is a new Steven Spielberg show, which is in the vein of the kind of Band of Brothers Pacific type thing, and it's called Masters of the Air. So uh, obviously Apple is making a move here to do what every other network has been doing uh, in recent years, which is kind of vertically integrating their stuff and keeping the profits for themselves, both on the production end and the distribution end. Right. I feel like the, the talk about 10 years ago was how fast can Netflix become HBO before HBO becomes a Netflix or vice versa. But now I really feel like it's more about who can out Disney Disney in terms of vertically integrating every single segment and buying out the competition and really segmenting themselves as a huge power player, which on some level, we're getting more OTT service 
services. But conversely, I do feel like we're getting more uh, sort of a kind of like Pac-Man uh, eating each other into one giant Pac-Man. So maybe at some point we'll only have uh, two or three OTT services. Who knows? But I'm excited for this series. I'm a huge fan of uh, the Pacific. I'm a huge fan of Banner Brothers. This is definitely an era of history I'm really interested in. So I'm really looking forward to this show. I think I've been on the record before saying uh, Apple as a company has uh, some issues. Let's, uh, you know, talking about China and uh, other things mm-hmm. that are, aren't fun. But I will say that I'm excited to see what uh, this new series entails. And uh, before we wrap, there's uh, a couple of more news that we're going to announce. The first one is uh, at long last, something that's been waiting for so long, and that's... Tom Welling will be back on TV. Oh yeah, as Superman. I mean, do you not? Are you not familiar with the show Legends of Tomorrow and oh, yes. uh, doing a Crisis of Infinite Earth? Yes, uh, I have heard about a number of these uh, casting things. Yes. Isn't Brandon Roth coming back too? There's going to be like six Superman. Well, Brandon or Roth is already a regular in uh, Legends of Tomorrow, but he was playing another character. But he's reprising his role as uh, Superman, and uh, Tom Welling will be also reprising his role as Superman. Lucifer uh, from Lucifer, the Fox show that was on Netflix. The actor is going to reprise his role as Lucifer in a Crisis. I believe the Robin from Batman Robin the 60s is also reprising his role. So basically, they're casting every single human being that has ever existed tangentially connected to DC into this episode. And uh, I think we can announce also that Paper Team will be featured in a crisis. <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh, we are very excited to, to head up to Vancouver and film our cameo as uh, two people who get caught in the middle of the battle. Absolutely. And also, I believe Ryan and Seth from the OC are going to be in yes. there. Uh, the Roadrunner, Wiley Coyote, yeah, uh, Zoidberg. Uh-huh. Uh, it's really just going to be a. It's a <laughs> sadly, sadly, I don't have California. Here we come on my signboard. But next time, I'll be ready. I mean, if, the if there are infinite Earths, then there are infinite possibilities. So anyone we can imagine will be exactly. a part of it. Maybe it's just off screen. Crisis. Infinite Earth is basically CW crossover. It's just the CW network as its own crossover. Maybe Charmed and Sabrina are going to show up. Maybe. Uh, and uh, can you imagine if Dawson <laughs> if climbs like in the window, <laughs> Superman's window? That'd be great. Oh, my word. So I guess tune in for that. I just wanted to play the Smallville theme. I mean, it's a good theme. Um, no, you don't think so? Are you not nostalgic for Smallville? No, oh, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm okay with it. I just. <laughs> I thought you were like leading up to some other kind of joke or something there. There's no joke. It's only. We're going to be hit with a copyright. I was going to say, wait until we get dinged for that. Yeah, probably. But uh, it's a fair use, isn't it? Yes. We're We're just mocking Smallville. Attempting to be funny. So apparently it's fair use. Exactly. (laughs) How dare you attempting? I'm funny. (laughs) How dare you? All right. Before we go on that note, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoy this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You will get access to our Paper Patreon podcast, Cheat Sheets, and uh, access to tickets to our new live event. So you get on uh, this uh, train at uh, paperteam.co slash Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and uh, we can keep producing a great show like this one for you every week. 
and we'll need all the money we can get to fight that copyright infringement <laughs> lawsuit. So <laughs> thanks to all our listeners for taking the time to tune in. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 157. And uh, you can uh, Google Smallville theme song on YouTube to uh, listen to it again. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have your own TV or any questions you would like answered on this podcast, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And uh, what are we doing next week? Well, next week is our paper tease episode for the month where we will be announcing the winner who is going to get to be featured in this live script reading in November on uh, November 20th at our live event. So please tune in for that and maybe it will be you. I'll see you next week. Not you, Alex. That's a sad uh, state of affairs then. <laughs> I don't even know. You, you left me on this bummer now. Uh, I don't even know how to end this podcast. Maybe someone will save us. Save <laughs> see you guys next week. All right, I'll see you next week. <laughs>